Okay, we got ourselves another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. Pleased to be joined by Joel Henderson from Dauber Prospects, as well as FC Hockey. Joel, how are you this evening? I'm good, man. I had uh, I had a good solid coffee and uh, and uh, a lunch that uh, someone added double chicken to, so I'm good to go, you know. Double chicken? How does one get double chicken? Do you just, do you just have went, that way with people? Uh, so my celebratory meal, which is just an awful, awful meal, is uh, <laughs> I go to Dairy Queen and I get a chicken poutine and then I get a blizzard as well. And it, and so then I went through and just ordered a chicken poutine. And when the guy brought it to the, the window, he said, hey, he goes, just so you know, we added like double the chicken because we had a little bit of extra chicken. I hope that's okay. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the dumbest question in the world, is double chicken okay? Of course it's okay. Oh, that's <laughs> phenomenal. Um, Joel, I've never had chicken poutine from Dairy Queen, but I'm, I used to work at a Dairy Queen in my okay. high school days. So I'm well-versed with the poutine there. Fantastic cheese curds. <laughs> Gravy, it comes in a bag, but it's phenomenal. So is this, is this a Joel Henderson creation? Is this a Western creation or is this something that somehow is served at Dairy Queens now that escaped me? I think, I, I think the actual answer is that it's like one of the hidden down menu things. And if you work there long enough, every now and then someone asks for it and they go, and, and then the new newbies have to go to a veteran employee go, is this something on the menu? And they go, Oh yeah, give me a sec. And I mean, they just, all they do is chop up like chicken strips and stuff and throw it in the poutine, which, hey, I'm a fan of. So is it, is it the breaded chicken or do you go for the grilled chicken? The thing is, is they will, <laughs> sometimes they ask, sometimes they go, which kind of chicken would you like? And, but normally they just give the breaded chicken. Right. Cause it, it absolutely is not on the menu, <laughs> like a hundred percent. And like, I pride myself on having tried just about everything that one can try in a Dairy Queen and that never occurred to me yeah. not in a million years did it's, chicken poutine occur to me but I guess uh, I just wasn't having the poutine often I, I stand by it it's once again it's a celebratory meal for me it my body hates me when I do it but uh, hey it is what it is Oh, your body loves you after that meal. Get like, let's get real. There is nothing better than one of those absolutely gluttonous meals, and you just you absolutely go overboard. I uh, I don't do it nearly often enough. So you're celebrating the draft. This is what I take it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I it was a really really long day. I got up this morning and I made my second appearance on Sportsnet um, on nine sixty The Fan in Calgary. So, you know, I, hey, I was having a I was having a good day. Hell yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Um, what was your blizzard of choice? It is the Oreo cheesecake, which is right now in rotation. Okay, Oreo cheesecake is fantastic. And when you say in rotation, do you mean like it's advertised? I just, I, I think it's still on their like specialty menu. So I'm trying to, you know, it's been there for a little bit. So I just have it because it looks like the best one. Because they always have cheesecake. Like they, they, they get bags of New York cheesecake cubes and they always have Oreo. So Oreo cheesecake is always available and, and it's one of the best. Um, I have several phenomenal cheesecake blizzard options 
that I suggest you try in the future. Your uh, your knowledge on this is too much. You have too much informa- information. Like that's the uh, that's too much power, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I spent a lot of time there, and our owner was this crazy old Finnish man, and he's he's since passed. But w- what a wonderful soul who just did not want to deal with our crap. So we had an agreement where every single shift that we would work, they would take $2 off our paycheck and we could eat anything. Mm. So you, you throw this at a 15 year old kid and it's just like, it's, it's an absolute bonanza. One of my buddies, it was every single day that he would, he would start his shift with a double cheeseburger and a double chicken burger. And that's how he, he, he came in early and then put the burgers and the chicken through the grill. And that's how he started his shift. It was, it was automatic. So. And when, when did he, uh, when did he pass away? Um, <laughs> so that's a lot, man. Every day. Holy, holy crap. Yeah. Um, in any case, do you, <laughs> you want to hear some of the, uh, the phenomenal blizzard options? Sure. Hit me with them. Okay, so clearly a fan of the cheesecake, Oreo cheesecake, phenomenal. Um, dare I say banana split cheesecake? Okay. But, but, okay. Pineapple optional. I would say make sure that they strain the pineapple before it goes in the blizzard. Otherwise, it'll get too soupy. And also of concern, make sure they strain the strawberry. Again, the soupiness. And instead of the regular chocolate syrup that they would normally put in there, ask for cold fudge. Because again, it's a consistency. So there is a banana split blizzard that is offered. And you know, the the blizzard test where they flip it upside down and the the spoon has to remain in there. Well, you want to fail a a blizzard test. You, you order a banana split blizzard because those things are dying to fall out unless you opt for the cold fudge option. Oh, I don't, now I'm going to have too much knowledge. Yeah, I <laughs> see. Every now and then I'm haunted by getting dared to try a Sunday of basically every topping that existed in the place, including like the restaurant food. So mustard Sunday not a good combination yeah no yeah don't do that yeah so i've i've got options for you on both sides well, i appreciate it. send them my way after we're done here <laughs> absolutely um but we we brought you on to to talk about the draft and celebrate the draft so i was thinking are you a believer in draft grades? Is that something that you like to do or do you even like, is that an incorrect way of going about this process? I mean, you can, it's just, um, I mean, all the draft grade is, is basically saying, you know, do you think that they got value at the positions that they got? And that just comes down to philosophy of drafting. Um, so, I mean, someone can say they got an A and it doesn't mean it's so, it just means, do you trust the philosophy of drafting of the person who's given grades? And, uh, I just think, you know, cause sometimes with the draft as well, there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of finesse, right? Like you, 
if you want a player and you really want a player, but you think that other teams are really eyeing up a player in a range, you're trying to think, do we take this player now and grab this guy in the next round? Or what do we do? Right? Like there's some famous Calgary flame stories about um, some players where they just go, okay, we can't wait any longer. We have to take him now. And uh, you know, you, you grab him when you can. So I, I don't know. I think you just, I do like the greats thing because it makes me feel, you know, it makes me feel superior when I go, this guy's drafted great, but all it's really doing is, you know, I'm patting myself on the head and saying, I think I'm great. So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I think there's some value. teams, but I do think that there's teams in this draft that just knocked it out of the park. So you, you do think it's about value then? Oh, absolutely. Because some people just say, well, I, I guess, I guess, is it value relative to position or is it just value? Because some people say, oh, they, they had the number one picks, therefore they get an A plus because they took the best player and they didn't screw that up. It's like, is that, is that how we should be grading this? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's why I asked the question. Yeah. I think it just comes down to how you think, um, where you think value comes from. Like, I mean, um, there's a lot of teams in the second and third round that take big stadium defensemen who have uh, actually a decent chance to be an NHL player, but they're never going to be more than a bottom pair defenseman. So, and the reality is, is, I mean, look at free agency today, you can grab some of those guys. So, I mean, but some NHL GMs might say, well, yeah, but we'd like to have a number of years of having those guys on entry level contracts rather than et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and then I guess if you can develop those guys and they can be, top four defense before you and really steady, which I don't know, maybe think that, I think there's a lesser chance of that happening, but if you can get those guys, um, then, then that's a huge win for your team. So I just think there's a lot of guys that would rather take the chance of skill rather than um, a defensive minded person. And that just comes down to philosophy. So you said a few teams knocked it out of the park. Who jumps out at you right away? Well, I think if you're a, a Twitter person, I think the one, the one team that everyone's kind of woke up to a little bit is Carolina. The last couple of years, they've there's every pick that they've made has been like, here's the best player on the board, and Carolina took them. And <laughs> that's kind of been the way of their draft. They're not afraid to take guys that have that other people seem to think have deficiencies in other areas. Um, and so it like disqualifies them from getting picked in their certain ranges. So even in this draft as well, they took guys where on a lot of people, a lot of people's boards, they were the top option available and they kept grabbing those guys. Okay. A few things on Carolina. First of all, fuck them. <laughs> Seth Jarvis should be an Edmonton Oiler, my favorite player in this draft class. Very unfortunate to watch him walk off the board. As many predicted, he would if he was still there and other options weren't there for the Carolina Hurricanes and just just I, I wonder if they borrowed the uh the sword from the Vegas Golden Knights just to stab me right through the back with that pick um <laughs> do, is this a case of Tom Dundon is just like he's super cheap so he doesn't even have a scouting staff he just he just outsources it to all the all the public lists that are out there <laughs> or is this a case of uh, their analytics lining up with what all the public lists are? Yeah, I think it's the combination of the stuff. Like I've, I've uh, managed to, to meet a, a few different Carolina Hurricanes uh, guys that are part of their scouting staff and uh, they, and be able just to talk philosophy and talk what they do stuff. And, you know, they don't give you much, but some of the stuff of what they say, like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, there's a few guys that they really liked. 
Uh, and last year as well, you know, them getting, you know, trying to think of it, Patrick Puistola, I think in the third round and yeah, guys Hulka. like uh, Tuka, Tuka Tixola, um, Massimo Rizzo, like they were able to get some guys that, that um, just made a lot of sense. I guess Dominic Fensori as well. There's some guys that are just undersized, greatly skilled, and they just went, eh, we're going to take all of them. And this year's draft too, they got Zion uh, Nybeck and they got Alexander Passion. So in like fourth round on, so they, yeah, they're just going to continue to do that. So they do have scouts. <laughs> they do. I know a couple of them. They're, uh, they're good dudes. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Good for them. And also <laughs> they can, they can, I hope they have a mustard Sunday. <laughs> that's a wonderful way to put it. Um, so how about a team that did really poorly on value? Oh man. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the Ottawa Senators then. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad we're going here. Um, I think when you start the draft saying, okay, we have three first round picks, four second round picks, and, and then beyond, it's kind of like you just start to just dream of the players they could take. And I thought, I mean, you can't, whoever you believe in, in the top five, that's one thing. Like, that's going to, that's going to be something that, that either helps you or haunts you for years, but you know, it is what it is. They took the, that what they thought the best defenseman in the draft at five, they took who they thought was the best forward available at three. So whatever you shrug and just say, okay, that's fine. It's not awful picks, but I think everyone that they kind of took in round, like at the end of round one, and then the guys that got in round two were, a little bit above where I would have had them. It was like, there's probably five to 10 different players at each spot that I would have had ahead. Um, they went for guys with size. They went for guys that can move um, both like Greg and Clevin are great skaters, but they've got some question marks. Otherwise um, Sokolov's got some question marks. Uh, Gervinti in my mind has question marks too. So I just, I think they reached on a lot of them, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it was just at the end when I kind of look at the guys that they get did get. It's just a it's going to be a draft where fans look back and go, "Oh no, what if?" Yeah, and I also think that the Sanderson pick was if we didn't have the pandemic and the pause and everything played out on the regular calendar, I think they'd probably still end up taking him at five. But because we got to watch Sanderson's steam play out over the whole summer rather than being shocked the way we were about Maurice Sider. It -hmm. just kind of happened and we were all ready for it. But Tony Ferrari was, uh, he had mentioned on Twitter that he had gotten his workout in and then was ordering a pizza to get ready for the marathon that was day two of the NHL draft. And I joked to him, I was like, that's like, taking Tim Stutzla at number three, getting your workout in, and then <laughs> taking Sanderson at five, ordering your pizza. Like, you're undoing all the good work that you just did. Well, I mean, I think that, it, like I said, with this, I don't really have too much commentary on these guys because these aren't the dudes that I watched in full detail. Like, I'll leave that up to everyone else. Like, I really focused on the dub guys, and there's just so many opinions out there where I just went, eh, I'm just going to trust the guys that I trust. So there's some guys that had Stutzler three. There's some guys that didn't. Um, there's some guys that are much rather taken a Lucas Raymond or, or a Marco Rossi or something. 
Um, but I, like you said, I think it was the debate was kind of up in the air with Sanderson and Drysdale, and I think Sanderson makes more sense um, combining him with Ottawa's roster than than uh, Drysdale does. So yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. Uh, Ottawa fans will, like I said, they'll look back and go hooray or what if, and I'm going to lean towards the what if category, but we'll see. Yeah, I have to be clear. Again, I have prospect folks like you on so that I don't have to do all the work and I I clearly (laughs) haven't done all the work. But just looking at the statistical profiles of what really jumps off the page and what what there's a strong track record of and, and what there isn't, and I think there is an element of you want these toolsy players that maybe could offer more than what their statistical profile is. But when we talk about value, I'm not sure that that's what Sanderson was offering, but obviously there was all that steam. So no one's surprised that he went that high. And I don't think anyone will be surprised if he does end up being the best defenseman in this class. It's just, it wasn't a class for defensemen. This was the no. And I, and I think that's the good uh, point. One of the, one of the things that I often think about is I think about uh, the Florida Panthers a few years ago um, when the combination of picks that they got was Aaron Ekblad and Barkov in back-to-back years. And the what if on that is if they would have taken the forward the other year and taken the defenseman the other year, it's, it would have been um, Seth Jones and, you know, one of, uh, one of like Sam Reinhardt or Leon Dreisaitl. And I think that most people would have had Reinhardt there. So you kind of go, what if, like based on year to year? So would you rather Barkov and Ekblad or would you rather Seth Jones and Sam Reinhardt? So it, if you swap those years kind of in the way that they do this. So if Ottawa, I mean, because I can't imagine that, like Ottawa has their first round pick next year, do they not? I, I imagine yes. they do. So yes. it's, so they're going to get another, they're going to have available some incredible um defensemen and they took they've drafted defensemen in the first round a lot and so it just seemed like everything made sense for them to either reach on asphalt or just continue to to load up with premium forwards and get your defenseman next year but um there was a lot you know there was a lot that they liked about um about sanderson and that was the way that they went but uh yeah i think it's just gonna come fans will come down this year as well where they'll go wow we could have gotten you know, we could have gotten Alexander Holtz or Marco Rossi or a Cole Perfetti or whatever, and then taken the defense from the next year. And I don't know. It'll, we'll have to revisit this next year. It, it kind of reminds me of where I landed in last year's draft, where I, I lamented for a very long time that the Oilers ended up uh, picking Philip Broberg instead of uh, Trevor Zegras. And mm-hmm. now they both kind of look like they're fantastic. So what do I know? <laughs> toolsy defenseman uh, sometimes they can hey, as, as a flames fan that those picks um for uh, bouchard and broberg I, I had a little bit of fun with that on twitter and made some edmonton's fan fans a little bit upset but it was all in good fun it was just i, I think i made some joke of like oh wonderful like another year where edmonton picks a defenseman who can't play defense and <laughs> just uh, <laughs> no offense to those two guys they're just offensive dudes so it's uh they're they're learning and they're coming along well yeah, absolutely. We uh, we only mean offense to the adults making these decisions, and that's right. Absolutely, no offense to the young players who are just looking to be their best selves. Because honestly, just getting drafted is 
an absolutely massive accomplishment. And you just think about like everyone's on this path where they're trying to grow as, as people and in their selected fields. And so as being commentators, we have to make fun of stuff because that's part of getting better at being in the media field. And as players, they have to, I guess, accept that there's going to be some criticism that isn't even, I don't know, proper or what have you. Like it, it, it should be irrelevant to that because they're, they've obviously accomplished something phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, it's um, once again, it's, it's just no, it's no slide on these players. Like it's just, this is a weird day where they're, they're known as potential commodities. And so you have to like, you have to see them in that regard, but then as soon as they get picked, then you just change it up and you go, congratulations. And uh, like, I hope you do well and keep up the hard work and all of that sort of stuff. It doesn't matter if you get taken first or 200th, you know, it's, you're now part of an organization and, and get to work. <laughs> and um, but I mean, like we're seeing it kind of in Calgary right now where it looks like Mark Jankowski is going to hit the market. And, and this was a kid who got drafted and then right away, general manager said he's going to be the best player from this draft. And this is a kid who was playing in high school. So like talk about immediate pressure on a kid. And so he's come in, he's, he's been an NHL player. He's had some ups and downs. He proved a lot of people wrong and he's kind of going to the open market now. And there's a lot of people that were sour on him and continue to be sour on him. But I mean, the flames got an NHL player from it. It wasn't the worst pick. It just, uh, it it was just, it, it was all the rest of the surrounding stuff. So that's the thing about when you talk about, about value talking about you know actual kids from actual cities practicing in actual backyards and rinks and stuff so but uh yeah i mean but you have to i mean as far as a general manager or other people if you're looking at a scouting department you want to get the people who are picking the best players no question now that we're on the flames can we talk about the flames draft i loved what they did in the first round as soon as fuck those hurricanes <laughs> took Seth Jarvis uh, before the Oilers. Uh, I wanted the Oilers to trade down after that because it just seemed like there was this tier of players that you could trade down and still be able to get and other teams were going to move up and try to get defensemen and that did end up happening. So Mm -hmm. Flames added these extra picks that teams can use to take shots on players. And yeah, I, I love what they did. I'm thoroughly intrigued by Connor Zari. I, I like his statistical profile. It, uh, it flows very nicely. It seems like he could be a very strong top six player for them in the future, but I'm wondering what you think. I mean, I, I like the kid a lot. I think there's some people that kind of soured on him a little bit, but um, he kind of ended off the year a little bit, a little bit slower than before, but I mean, he had 66 points, I think in his first 44 games. He's a guy that really excels on the power play. I watched him when they had the WHL versus Russia um, competition things. And he was one of two draft eligibles who joined that WHL team. It was him and uh, Braden Schneider. And I came away to that game thinking that Schneider was the best, if not one of the best like forwards on, on, on that roster on WHL roster. So, and that's one where you've got some of the best of the best you had. Um, like I remember being really excited to watch Adam Beckman who led the, the league in scoring. And I thought Zary had a better game than Beckman did that one. So it's, um, it's nice to see these, these kids and kind of other elements. And I think the flames just have an approach that we're going to take the best player, especially in the first round, they were able to trade down and it seemed like they, they got the guy that they wanted too. And, but I think there was a grouping of players for them so they could trade down, but 
when you're trading down three spots and then another two, like that just doesn't happen. Like that's a thing that I dream of doing. Like I go, Oh, if I could trade down and get two third round picks, like I'd be the man right now, but no team ever does it because you need someone who wants to trade up two spots. And apparently the flames managed to do it twice. So, Hey, uh, great. Yeah. That really certainly worked out for them. But did they do anything with those extra picks that they got? Like, is it uh, is it going to work out for them? Uh, this is where I'd be leaning on your knowledge of these uh, players deeper because I don't necessarily have much of an opinion. I know that the Poirier kid, it seems like goals for everyone is, uh, <laughs> is the equation there. But beyond that, I've got uh, – I don't have much else to add. He, uh, he's very, very uh, polarizing. Um, when you watch him play, it's obvious that his offensive skill is first round caliber, probably top 15 in the draft. Um, it's out of this world. That being said, he plays like a rover, like a soccer rover. He shirks defensive responsibilities. And so it just kind of comes down to like, does he know this? Does he know that there's going to be teams that hate that he does this? And uh, I can't remember if it was an interview or something. I think it was Bradshaw Living said that he spoke to Poirier and was really upfront with him and say, like, hey, man, congratulations. Like, we think you're immensely talented, but there's a reason that I'm giving you a call in the third round as opposed to the first. And I think that was kind of Poirier going, okay, I got some work to do here. Um, The pro game's a little bit different. But when you start off with that level of skating and puck skills, um, it's it's a great place to start from. So... Um, I didn't think the Flames would get one with that level of ability in the third round. Um, I didn't think they would have a third round pick. So, hey, um, there's a couple other guys there. There was one guy that went a couple spots after him that I thought if they should take a forward, it'd be him. But uh, Poirier's a big swing. And um, Flames fans are really, they know what to expect from Oliver Shillington as well. But Poirier's got even more skill right now than Shillington did at his draft. So we'll see. Yeah, when you say he's polarizing, is that like literally polarizing, like a magnet? Like he's 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 positive at one end, he's negative at the other. I mean, he <laughs> he thinks I I guess if there's a magnet that just goes that pulls him towards the offensive side of things, then that's kind of where he stays. He doesn't think too much defensively. But once again, this is somebody that I I've watched um, at some competitions and some international stuff and CHL top prospect game and a few other times, and so he's not somebody that I know really really in depth but it seems like everybody is is on the same page when they go like you know why you got picked in the third round right and he goes yeah so I mean he's got some work to do but he's got the tools and ability to be able to to do it so hey that's what you want in the third round you want to be able to swing on potentially um, a game-changing player for you I do think that there's a certain element to players getting passed over and you get that chip on your shoulder whereas had he been a player who gets picked in the first round anyway, despite the deficiencies that that people find in his game. And he would just be, oh, I, clearly I'm doing it all well. And then a team tries to tell him to change things. Well, you picked me in the first round, so why would I change, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think it just comes down to, because some guys get that wake-up call when they're about to hit the pro game, and then they every year they hit camp and they get sent down to the AHL again. And they're like, well, I'm good enough to be here. And it's like, yeah, but you still have to play the way that the coach wants you to play. And right now you're a bit of a liability. So if 
if you don't change this, you can stay down in the AHL. And there's guys that they take a little bit longer to hit that wake up call. And, uh, um, Hey, like I love Oliver Shillington and he's come a long way for the Calgary flames to be a, a way better two way threat and still be able to transition pucks and, and to be able to be an offensive catalyst. So if, uh, Poirier goes along that same line and in the third round, When we last spoke, you mentioned that the Flames, they needed to address the organizational weakness of defense. Do you think they successfully did that in this draft? I think they made a, a priority to do that. But I mean, also one of the things that they've mentioned a couple of times on Flames social stuff, but they signed two college free agent kids, one of which they're really high on. They signed a couple of kids from the SHL, like from who are coming over this year. Like if, if the AHL goes this year, um, I think they have one returning defenseman. So they have two college kids come in, two from Sweden, a couple of AHL um, deal signees from the Western Hockey League. So, I mean, they've got, they've got a ton of new defensemen. It's just the reality is, is most of these guys now are 21, 22. And so they're hoping to add a few more 18-year-olds. So it's about replenishing and thinking about the future Have you done much work on the AJHL? Because the Oilers drafted a couple of guys out of there, and I'm wondering if you have some perspective. Uh, I do have perspective on it. There's some kids that I've seen a little bit, um, but there's some people at uh, at FC that just kind of took the – they took the reins on them a little bit more to get more views of them particularly. Um, but, I mean, Edmonton, yeah, they did grab a couple of kids, um, specifically Carter Savoie. And he's a dude that has, he's another one of those offensive all dudes. He thinks offense, he thinks speed, he thinks let's go, let's go, let's go. And uh, his, he cheats a little bit offensive or like defensively to be able to do that. Um, and you're just hoping that he can get to a bigger league and be able to continue to do that. There's some people that saw him as like a, just outside the first round type of talent. Um, I didn't see him enough to be able to, you know, if I was a scout in the room, I don't know if I would put my neck on the line like that, but he's got a lot of skill. And uh, I think that's a great swing for Edmonton. Well, that's really good to hear. And Dylan Holloway, he was in college last year, but he also came up through the AJHL. So I'm wondering if you would have also seen him. I just, a couple of jokes that I'd like to fire off with regard to the Holloway pick before we get too far into it. Holloway, more like throwaway. No, that's that's <laughs> not actually how I feel. Um, Holloway, I thought Chiarelli did that five years ago. No, okay. Um, yeah, I, obviously disappointed with the pick, more so because of fucking Carolina taking Seth Jarvis. But... Otherwise, it seems like this follows a pattern of what uh, what this new regime is all about, taking very toolsy players. They took, we mentioned Broberg last year, very toolsy. And now this year, they keyed in on Holloway, who again, not great point production, maybe playing too far above his level for, for his age, but seemed to show well enough. But at the same time, like, very very toolsy big strong fast so we'll see yeah i mean they um 
he was on a team that had a lot of skill. So it, it would be really hard for him to, to really come up the lineup, but it also meant that he was facing some other competition, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's, he's already at the university of Wisconsin. He's already playing some big minutes. He is a bit of an older player too. Like his birthdays, he's one of probably the oldest players in the draft. Um, but yeah, I, I, this one surprised me a little bit for Edmonton. You know, you just always thought that they were, were going to take a guy that was, was a winger with speed. And I mean, I understand that some of the goal scores were already gone, uh, especially in this draft. Like, you know, you thought maybe you would get, um, you know, Jack Quinn or, or uh, Seth Jarvis, whoever was available. Um, so there's other players that did make sense, but the guys who were just natural goal scorers were kind of gone in those ranges. So I guess it makes sense, but it did surprise me a little bit. Yeah, and that's why you should have traded down. But um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently Ken Holland didn't get any calls. But, you know, never mind. You can make your own calls. I think around that range, um, I think after Seth Jarvis goes, I think it just opens up quite a bit. For me, the best player at that point was Amirov, who Toronto got right after. But then it's just a little bit all over the place. So, I mean, I kind of thought – with those guys off the board, I thought they would maybe take a stab at uh, Dawson Mercer or someone like that. He went for New Jersey. Um, so it, it just all depends, but it really, really opens up at that point in the draft. Yeah, I was fully expecting my prediction and none of my predictions proved correct, but uh, my prediction was that they would trade down and they would end up with uh, Maverick Bork. But um, because another one of the trends that uh, this Oilers scouting staff with uh, with Holland at the top and, and Tyler Wright as their uh, as their head scout has um, or their director of scouting has keyed in on. They love the queue and they do a lot of work on players in the later rounds from like Swedish juniors and Russian juniors and that's kind of where they like to mine their talent so a lot of the later rounds of the draft fell into closer to that trend but uh, I guess at the top they they went with uh, the toolsy player yeah and uh I mean you know let's let's call a spade a spade there's Edmonton's got a hit on some of their depth guys they haven't done it in the past the last couple of years it's been pretty decent but they've swung and missed I think quite quite easily in a lot of these drafts in the last five or six years so you're hoping that uh, a Carter Savoie is, is going to work out in a fourth or a Tyler Tulio in the fifth was a great pick too. Yeah I, I'm I'm optimistic it seems like we're starting to see some of the fruits of I mean the the Chiarelli tenure wasn't great but there was some reasonable drafting in that time so we're starting to see some of the fruits of that and if they can continue that then in five years, maybe there's some players coming up who make an impact at the tail end of Drysidle and McDavid's deals. Mm -hmm. And there's been some players in the past for them. Like uh, I think, you know, Dmitry Samarukov is a guy that I really liked and I think he's progressing nicely. Um, there's a few guys in the Oilers uh, or covered that uh, they could be some good initial players. So we'll see. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got some optimism there. I, was hoping for some more draft picks in uh, in this class, but I guess that's what uh, that's what everyone wants, and uh, it's <laughs> it's tough to get them. Uh, I'm wondering, can we take a spin around the Pacific Division? Let's do it. 
Okay, what did you think of the LA Kings draft? I, I just want to applaud them for not getting sucked into the Tim Stutzler thing and, and going with Quentin Byfield when there's a franchise centerman, potential franchise centerman on the board that statistically profiles great. I think you have to do it, right? Yeah, they made the right choice I, from everything that I've seen. I mean, he... He's one of those players too that when you look at his deficiencies, the things are you could if you're starting to be really nitpicky, you'd say, oh, like he doesn't do this. But it, it's in the category of yeah, but he still could. It's not that he can't do it; he just doesn't now. And so he's got all of the tools and the smarts and the intellect and the size and the and the everything to be able to do all that stuff. So um, if your if your hockey development is anything worth anything, this kid is your dream. Um, so th- they did well to get that. Uh, to get him there. And then, and then Helga Granz and Brock Faber in the second, like, holy crap, that's great value. Um, Faber is a good pick there. Um, I know a lot of people that really think highly of, of his intellect in the game. Like he's just going to smarts his way to the NHL because he just makes such, um, such smart plays all of the time. And Casper uh, Samotoval is another great pick. Um, the rest of the draft, like I could take it or leave it. But uh, but those picks they nailed on the the picks that they should have when or they should have. And what about the Anaheim Ducks? We kind of alluded to it when we were talking about Ottawa. Seems like they they could have gotten the best defenseman in the draft. Uh, Ottawa or Anaheim could have. Yes. <clears throat> As in, who who are you saying there? <laughs> Jamie Drysdale. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, sorry. I thought you were saying that they could have had Sanderson. I was like, well, no, he was gone. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Drysdale's a great defenseman, and um, they've taken forwards in the last number of years. Like, you know, they've got Zigras and Tracy and Ludestrom, and, and uh, they've been really forward heavy, um, I guess, even as much as like Max Jones and Sam Steele and stuff. So, they, yeah, they needed to take some D-men, and it made sense to take Drysdale there. And uh, he's a fine pick there. He's going to be a fine player for them and uh, be part of their top four for a long time. Jacob Perot is a good swing too. Um, there's a lot of people that really, really like him at the end of the first. Um, I still think that he's not as his, he's very creative. His finesse needs to come a little bit um, in order to finish those plays. And so that's just going to come from, from just doing stick handling drills over and over and over again. And it looks like he does. Uh, Sam Colangelo is a, a guy that I liked a little bit more than other people did too. So I was fine with that pick there. Um, yeah, and they got Ethan Bowen near the end too, I think in the seventh round. So I think it was a good draft for, for Anaheim. They addressed some of their needs and they got some really good players. And when was the last time that they messed up a first round pick? Like they took Nick Ritchie at 10 in 2014, which I guess historically hasn't proven to be that good, but that was a draft where they only had five picks and four of them turned into legit NHL players so this is a team that just it seems like they draft really well and no one should trade them draft picks because they seem to turn (laughs) them into NHL players well I'm just looking at their list too and in 2015 they they took uh uh, Jakob Larson and he's been having a little bit of a slow go but I liked that pick at the time I thought he I really liked the way that he skated the way that he moved um so I think that's probably the last first round pick that's kind of struggled a little bit more than they thought but yeah, I mean, uh, Lundestrom essentially made the team. Um, Zagres had an unreal year. Tracy had a uh, pretty good year too. Um, he got moved around and was in a bit of a different role, but he's progressing nicely. So they, uh, yeah, they've, they've hit on some of their high picks. 
And I really liked the statistical profile on just about all of the Chicago Steel kids. I don't know how much you followed them, but <laughs> Sam Colangelo, he, he jumped out at me just statistically profiling. So I'm really intrigued to see what comes of him, but I, I'm afraid as a, as a fan of a team within that division that maybe they just landed three more NHL players and it's going to be sooner rather than later that we have to deal with the Ducks again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Colangelo's um, there's a there's a, an ability that some players have and some players don't, and it's very incredibly hard to teach. And it's just about like knowing when to be aggressive and knowing when to stay back, uh, knowing when to hang on to that puck for that extra second, and knowing when not to. And the reason that I like Sam Colangelo more than others is because I think he has that ability. And so he was playing with some very good players as well. I mean, he was playing with Sean Farrell and Brendan Brisson. And Brisson was the trigger man. Like He was able to just fire off one-timers like crazy. And Sean Farrell is a terrific, terrific playmaker too who went later on. Um, but Colangelo, he, um, he just has that puck patience that you can't teach. And it's something that I think really highly of. So, yeah, I think he has a very good chance of being a good NHL player. I mean, that speaks to decision-making, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Brisson. He went to the Vegas Golden Knights, who, you know, let's talk about another divisional team that doesn't seem to screw up draft picks. <laughs> um, I, I Again, I like the Chicago Steel statistical profiles of these players. So do you think they landed another good one there? I think so. There's some guys that kind of question a little bit of his upside. Like I just think of um, in a very, very simplistic way, players either have to be able to create space for themselves and other people, or they have to be able to do stuff with very limited space. And Brisson is one of those guys who can do a little bit of all of that. He's a very good teammate in the sense of he cycles the pucks well. He's opportunistic in his decision-making and working with his teammates like those Chicago steel was just a, a team that could play keep away in the offensive zone if they wanted to all day because they would out, outthink their opponents. And then Brisson has the attribute of just a dangerous one-time shot. And, you know, there's no shortage of highlights if you want to go and find those two. So he's a guy that can just rip a shot in very short amount of time. And at the NHL level, that will always translate. If, if I can pass the puck and you can just rip a shot, like that's an asset. And, um, Vegas will use that, especially on the right side. Um, especially, you know, cause they've, they've drafted and kept guys that are a bit more playmaking on that side. You know, they've kept, uh, Peyton Krebs and they've kept Cody glass. So they've got some playmakers and this just adds somebody with an elite shot to their, to their arsenal. Right. Because it really didn't work out for them continually teeing up Max Pacioretty for one timers. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I mean, Brisson is going to be one of those guys that um, he has that kind of level of ability. I think um, there's some guys that had Brisson in the, in the high teens, like in the, you know, 13, 14, 15, because they just thought that this is going to be something that is, it's just, it's on its own world for, for a guy that I think is like five eleven or something. Um, yeah. So he's just, he's got a danger shot. And uh, he was somebody that at the Flames at 19, I thought they might consider there too, just simply because they lack that one timing shot from the right side. But I think um, Vegas got a good one. And what about the San Jose Sharks? I feel like they mined the WHL quite a bit. 
Oh man, this might be my favorite. I, I, I tweeted out it that I think I'm, I might be a San Jose fan now. Like this is, this is a little bit unfair. <laughs> they last year, I didn't know what they were doing. They took in the second round, they took big forward Dylan Hamalik from Seattle who eventually got traded to Kelowna. And on my board, he was a sixth round pick. He was a guy that has the size and good mobility, but his skating, especially at the next level, he wasn't going to be able to forecheck and create turnovers the way that he does at the WHL level. And then he kind of got injured. And so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the same confidence with him as I maybe would with other players. And they just swung on uh, that upside of him. And he did not have a good year for Kelowna. And so going in, it was just like, well, what the heck is San Jose going to do this year? And they, they took smaller, talented wizards. Um, Ozzy Weisblatt is a, is a real solid pick there. I mean, I had him somewhere around, I think, the 35 to, to 40 range. So that's just above where I had him. They took Thomas Bordalo, who's very good with the puck on his stick. Um, he's, a, he's an absolute offensive catalyst um, that played in the USHL this year. Tristan Robbins is probably my favorite player in this draft uh, that they got him in the range that I thought he was going to go. And I thought, I thought he should go. And I thought player, I thought teams would be a little bit scared to take him. Um, I heard some rumblings around that they were like, Oh, I don't like his wingspan and yada, yada. And it's like, who cares when he does what he does. And, and then they took Daniel Gushin, which is um, kind of a favorite some other guys that I know. So they took guys who were under six feet and guys that can do whatever they want with the puck. And then they took Brandon Coe, who I wanted the Flames to get in with one of their third-round picks, too. He's a big 6'4", mobile right wing who has that same Sam Colangelo-level thinking in the game, and his hands match it. He's got some skating. You want him to get a little bit more step in his uh, first three-step you know, three acceleration to be able to be more agile. But what he does bring at 6'4", is something that you can't find, especially in the fourth round. So they, man, this was such a great draft for them. Apparently you can find it in the fourth round. <laughs> Apparently you can. I mean, it was 98, so it was at the start of it. But still, that's unfair that they got him there. I figured that Coe would probably go top of the third at the very least. But so I, he was around longer than I thought he would be. I think it's entirely fair. Like, it's not like other teams didn't have picks. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I think the draft is exactly about fairness. It's the only thing it's unfair for is the players. Well, you know, like there's, there's some history between the Calgary Flames and San Jose Sharks that there was a while where when Calgary, every time he got in the playoffs, it was the Sharks that eliminated them. So maybe I'm holding on to a little bit there, but it's, 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 it's nice to see after a few drafts where I thought maybe San Jose dropped the ball a little bit to see them come up with something where I just go, Holy crap. Like I'm a big fan of their draft this year. Uh, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely there for your sports hatred of the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> However, to think that it's unfair that a team gets a player that you like in a round, you just, it sucks, but it's not unfair. It is quite unfair. And uh, I'm, the fairness level is low. And that's what I think. So you said that Tristan Robbins is one of your favorite players in this draft. What, is it about him that makes him one of your favorites? Apparently, other than having T-Rex arms. <laughs> the, um, when you're discussing prospects, especially in this draft, you, 
it tends to come down to the same kind of uh, same level of like talk. It's like, what are their late elite abilities and what are they going to have to learn how to do? And with Tristan Robbins, he knows how to do all those things. And, (laughs) and so when I first saw him, um, when I first saw him, not this last year, but the year before, he was playing fourth line, third line winger sometimes. And every time the puck was on his stick, he just, he, his decision-making was quick. It was, uh, his hands were to match. And I just go, get this kid some more minutes. Um, he started off kind of on the wing, playing with some different guys. And then Saskatoon made some trades. And they just said, okay, the center ice is yours. And every ability that he had just was able to shine. The puck on his stick. Uh, I interviewed him as well, and he talked about in the summer really, really working on his um, deception, his deception of skating through the neutral zone, choosing different paths, not north-south, but really weaving and making defenders uh, challenge him, um, being able to really hold on to that puck for that extra half second to create for teammates, to maneuver the puck in multiple body positions. And then his favorite move as well is to kind of pull in tight to the, to the defender who's going to challenge him and then just pull back that half step, step, drag the puck, make sure the goalie can't see it, and then fire a wrist shot on that. His, his game is smart. I'm going to outthink you. I'm going to outwork you. Um, and, and it worked. It worked all year. He ended up the year with 53 points in his last 30 games. He, there was many times where against, you know, against lower-level competition teams, he just feasted on them, put up five-point games regularly. Um, he's just a kid that you, you, you don't, you don't really have to work on his deficiencies. Now, all you have to do is go cool. How can we accentuate the things that you're already doing well? And so this is a guy that you can plug in all around the lineup all day. And, uh, he's just a guy that if you want a guy that's going to work way to the NHL, this is one of them. I feel like you've described a first round talent. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that thought he was, um, but it, once again, it comes down to people talk about um, the term is runway. If a kid has a little bit more runway, like I think Ottawa, when they're picking Ridley Gregg, they're thinking, okay, this kid's young. He's still growing into his frame. He's going to grow a little bit more. He's going to, you know, we're going to teach him this and this and this. Like we, he's not, uh, like Tristan Robbins is a better player now. Um, but you're hoping that um, Ridley Gregg becomes a better player based upon what he could be with all the things kind of are attached. And so Tristan, it seems like, you know, what he is now, it's what he's going to be. He'll be 5'11 or, or whatever it is. He'll be a really strong lower body player. And uh, there were times, especially games, when I watched him against PA, where he's playing against Ozzy Weisblatt and, and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, some of the guys on PA that are like, they've got a really, really big defense core. Um, and that includes uh, Kate and Gooley. It includes um, a couple of defensemen even that are up for next year. They've got a whole bunch of defensemen that are 6'4". So when you're the top line centerman at 5'10", how are you going to be able to impact this game? And the thing is, he beat those players to pucks. He won the puck battles in the corners. He drew penalties when he needed to. Like he out, he outworked and outthought those players that have arguably more skill than him. And you just love it. You love to see it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I root for him. I, he's, uh, like I said, I think he's my, my favorite kid from this draft. Like last year I had Adam Beckman and he went in the third and I thought it was criminal. And I thought that was going to happen to Tristan. I thought Tristan was going to be taken at the end of the third and I would just be left shaking my head. So I think he went, you know, a little bit, I had him in the 40 to 50 range and he went 56. So I think, 
I think San Jose got a real good player. It sounds kind of Braden pointish. It is a little bit like Braden. Braden, they were about the same size, I would say. Uh, and Braden had a bit more. He had a bit more reach on his stick, and you can you knew that even for a smaller player, he was going to be able to use his reach to his advantage. Um, Tristan uses more of his lower body strength and his skating in those ways. Um, so they they are different, but they're good in the sense of that they're great all around players. Like Braden Point was always doing a ton of stuff well that you just you hope to teach to other kids, and it's the same thing that Tristan does well. Uh, that's that's very exciting and very disappointing for us to have to root against that in, within the division. <laughs> well, and even I mean, being being a WHL guy, it was funny interviewing interviewing Tristan, and he said. He said, um, every time that we played Prince Albert, I have to go out there and I have to prove that I'm a better player than those players. They're ranked so much far above me. Because um, Tristan, at the start of the year, he was not ranked by central scouting. And I thought that was an outrage. And then he eventually got a ranking. And then he was one of the biggest risers, I think, on their list. He, was, he ended up something like 86th on their North American list, which you know ends up being like a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick or something. And so I'm like, this is this is still insane to me. Um, and he went, and he went in the second round. So, Hey, shows what I know. <laughs> I, I, I love that chip on the shoulder. God, I love that. That's fantastic. If he would have been a fifth round pick to somebody like good heavens. Yeah. Unfair. Unfair. Unfair, <laughs> for, unfair for everyone. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about a couple of teams that I'm not sure even drafted? Let's do what, it. What did Vancouver do? Did they did they have picks? I know they uh, I know they had a nice little playoff run, which I mean I trade trade the picks in for that every time. But uh, did did they make selections? I'm not sure they did. They did, um, and they actually took a few players that I like. Um, so Yanni Yermo, I like. Um, there's times where people question his decision making ability, but he's a very smooth skating big defenseman um, that some people had even in the second round. There were people that were swinging for the fences and thought he could squeeze into the first, but I, I don't, I didn't think so. I thought he might go at the tail end of the second. So them getting him at 82, I think is good value. Um, another player I really liked was defenseman Jacob Truscott. Um, I think I put out a list as well of like different players that the flames took at different places. And, and once again, I'm limited for different leagues, but it's just like, here's who I would have taken. So it'll just be fun to look back on and say, with my limited knowledge, would I have been okay? Would I have just taken, some guys that I like here and been okay. And Truscott would have been one of those guys. Um, I watched him play um, for the national development team and he's a bit, uh, or I guess, sorry, the under 18 team. And he's a, he was, didn't get the same opportunities other guys did because there was some really good defensemen there. But when he was on the ice, I loved what he did. And so I thought this was a guy that you could just take later in the draft and turn into a good NHL player. And I think, um, yeah, it was a really good selection from them. And then their sixth round pick as well. He had a good um, uh, he had a good tournament in, in February and kind of turned some heads. So I'm not surprised that he he got drafted too. So they they you know we'll see. They didn't have much to work with. Uh, I guess they had third, fourth, fifth. So they didn't have top two round picks, but uh, they okay. Yoni Yermo, alliterative Finnish name. Well, <laughs> uh, Yoni Yermo. And then the Arizona Coyotes. I'm shocked that – I'm not that shocked because 
Like, who are they going to trade that's actually going to net them a first rounder when the only guy apparently that they're trying to trade is only willing to go to places that don't have first round picks. So <laughs> I'm not like amazed that the Arizona Coyotes weren't able to trade into this draft and get a few more picks, but I would have thought that they would have tried considering the cost that they paid for all the testing that they did on players in this draft class. You, you would have thought they would have tried to take advantage of that, but maybe, maybe the bet man said, no, you're not even allowed to trade for picks in this draft. They're a, they're a bit of a weird team because even if you say you want to trade some players away for some picks, like I don't, I don't really necessarily know who you do it for. Like, I guess they're trying to recoup some stuff by, by trading OEL, but I don't know too much on the other on the roster that people are just really knocking down their door to get who they, who they don't want to keep. I think something because they've locked up, they're happy with. So I don't know. I think this is just a year where they just bite the bullet and go, okay, there's always next year. Um, they took some players. I think that I've had some people mention to me as, you know, potential good players in different ranges. Like I've heard their names. Um, Mitchell Miller is a, there's, I'm not going to get into it, but there's more than just his hockey stuff there. I think um, from the things that I've heard, I don't know too much about it. Uh, Carson Bantle is a, is an, I think he's an 18 year old kid that played in the USHL um, big and, uh, and they took one of my favorite actual stories from this draft and Ben McCartney from the Brandon Wheat Kings. Um, Ben's, Ben's five on five numbers, uh, like not this last year, but the year before his actual draft, uh, his first draft year, um, were fantastic, but he didn't really get power play time and he didn't get some other opportunity, but his underlying numbers for a kid were fantastic. And it matched with, you know, the eye test. He's a really smart player. He doesn't have any elite abilities, but, um, but he does so many things. Well, that you just root for the guy. And, and I thought this year too, watching him, he took another step. Like he went from a 40 point player to a 60 point player and uh, added a bit of grit, added a bit of other things. Like he was just, he's a guy that you could plug on every line or on any line. And that line was instantly better. He created space for other guys. He filled in gaps. He challenged defenders. He did a little bit of everything. So I'm kind of, he's a happy story for me. I'm glad that he got picked. Apparently the Arizona Coyotes did do some stuff with, uh, with what little they had. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have any extreme confidence that they're going to look back at this and say they got some gems, but um, they made some swings. Fair enough, Joel. This was enlightening. You uh, you got to tell me about some some people that uh, I couldn't have any counterpoints for, and we got to talk about <laughs> some people that I did have some counterpoints for, and <laughs> and most importantly, we uh, we enlightened both yourself and and many folks on. Uh, delicacies that they can explore at uh at Dairy Queen the uh the next time they get out there and this was uh this was such a weird um drafting year like I watched more and went and went to more games live than I ever have but it was also a weird year like I was out of the country for a month in October November I was out of the country for a while in January so I was gonna I figured like that I would have more time to play catch up in um April and May then all this stuff went down and I had some personal stuff in my life that went wrong too. Um, you know, some sickness in my family and, and some different things. And so, but with this added time, um, I had no idea, you know, if I was going to, if, cause I put out my, my WHL rankings, I, I put out, you know, with our, we talk internally at future considerations and we put out um, a 100 at, at Dauber as well. And so we kind of talk about these different things, but right at the end I sat down and went, okay, here's what I actually think. 
And um, I think this was a year where pretty much every player went in and around the range that I thought they would, especially in my top 20. Um, there, I, All top 20 of my guys got picked. Um, one kid that I was really high on for a lot of the year, and I had a lot of people saying, like, I don't know, I don't know, is uh, Lucas Svikovsky, and he ended up getting drafted in the fourth round to Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's about where I had him. And so it was, a, it was cool. It was a cool year for a guy who just loves watching hockey and, and is continuing to try to get better and, and continue to expand my network of people that I talk to. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to root for these kids. It's fun to see them be excited on these days. And uh, let's hope that there's a season next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Joel, I'm glad you got the validation, but you absolutely don't need it. Love your work. Love having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is our show. Stick tap to Joel Henderson for coming on the podcast and enlightening us on prospects from the WHL and helping us in our review of the draft from a Pacific division perspective. Give him a follow on Twitter at DatHockeyDoe. And if you can't spell it, uh, you can find it down in the show notes. If you like what you listen to, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And hopefully we will catch you next week with some more in this draft review series. And hopefully we'll be able to do some free agency review as well as continuing to finish off that uh, postmortem series that has been delayed a little bit. Thank you so much again for listening and we out.